You know, um, one of the things that I've been pondering is how we function as a family. Um, and in doing that, what just I felt that like I want, wanted this morning before I, t- I talk, what, what I'm going to talk about is it's the third part of this series we're doing about having a faith that outlasts the storm so that you come out the other side. And, and uh, you, you see the victory that God's for you, a faith that endures. Because we all want to win some victories, don't we? We all want to see some victories in our life. We all want to have, you know, you can't have a testimony without a test. And the enemy will test you as much as he can, and people will test you as much as they can. But the, the point is to go through and have the testimony at the end. And it's generally, you know, as I said last week, it's not a lack of faith. Because Jesus says if you've got the tiniest bit of faith, it's, it's a faith the size of a mustard seed moves mountains. So you don't need a lot of faith, and everybody's got faith. What we don't have is faith that endures. We don't have the patience and the endurance that goes with the faith. So we dig it up again before we see our victory. And one of the things that that enables us to grow, which is is the point of what I'm talking about, one of the things that enables us to grow is the culture that we're planted in, the the, the church family that we're planted in. And I just felt, as as Pam was talking this morning and Shell was talking, I wanted to just remind you of what are the really important values that we hold. So it's not in my talk, but these values have been there since we started. But I wanted to remind you of them because they, 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 they define who we are and how we want to do things. You know, when you have values, it says where you'll go and what you won't compromise on. And these are things we won't compromise on, and we haven't compromised on them. I remember for years, Les and Joyce used to have them stuck on their fridge on a tatty bit of A4 paper. It wasn't even well designed. They just like, I don't, I don't know how they got it off the internet, but they did, you know, and they had it stuck on the fridge. But here's the other. There's three primary values and a couple that go with them. And the primary values are this, that... And, and this is how faith life was birthed. Faith life was birthed because we were seeing miracles and had nowhere to go with them. And they weren't wanted. And so we ended up being birthed because of our stand that we believe in a supernatural God who still does amazing things. And that we wanted to be a people of faith who would believe God for amazing things. So um, that, that's the first part of it. The second part of it is that that there's a particular type of body we want to be. And that's a body who knows how much they're loved by God and that we love each other with that same level of love. That's why we, we, we call it being rooted and grounded in love. And the result of being rooted and grounded in love is you get to walk in the fullness of God, which is what we all want to see, isn't it, in our lives? And the third element was this, that the word is final authority. Not, not pop culture, not ideas, not philosophies, but the word is the final authority in our life. And we we would strive to be a people who would actually walk dependent on what the word says and not what our feelings say, not what our circumstances say, and not what other people say. And so they were the three core values. And we used to define them like this because it was easy to remember. Church full of his love, full of his presence and full of his word. And, and then there was two things that went with that to make that work. And it, the, the, the two things were this. The first one 
was that it would be a church where all generations were valued and played their part. And I keep saying it, you know, whether you're, you're 20, 40, 60, some, some in their 80s, you know, if you're not dead, you're not done. God's still got a purpose for you. And so it's that multi-generational um, thing. And the last thing of it is that we would seek to be, it's reiterating what I've always said, but it's, we'd seek to be a family that would walk with each other and care for each other and stand with each other. And so there are core values. I just really felt I wanted to remind us of them because there's a lot of people here, I guess, that you've joined in the last couple of years ago and you've, never, you've, you've not actually heard those expressed. But that's, that's kind of our lines of no compromise. We, we won't go beyond them because we believe that's what God called us to be as a church. And that stops us um, doing a lot of things, but it also launches us into specific things that we, we believe in God for. And this morning, what I want to talk to you about is the the third part of this series of how do you develop your faith so that it outlasts the circumstance, outlasts the trial, outlasts the test, goes through the storm and comes out the other side. And last week I talked about uh, Jesus going to them in the midst of the storm and walking on the water. And so I'm going to look at another example uh, This week, but I'm not going to go straight there, but I'm going to look at the story when the centurion encounters Jesus to help us to understand what faith is and what faith isn't. Are you with me? Yeah? Good. All right. So, where do you get faith from? Okay. Go on. Where do you get faith from? We we could do participation. Yeah, go on then. Where do you get faith from? You get faith in the Word. Romans 10, 17 says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, you know, you can, you can overplay that, but it's a, it's a big, bold statement, isn't it? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We, what we hear affects our heart. What we hear either energises our born-again spirit or shuts it down. What we hear either launches into something that is beyond ourselves or ties us down to things that are within ourselves. And so it's equally true that what we hear can give us unbelief. You know, as Christians, I like to look at the positive on everything because that's, that's kind of the sort, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I'm not a glass half full person. I'm a person who looks at a glass half full and believes for it to be full so I can drink it all again. So, but... When we, when we take in all the stuff that says, that's not possible, you can't do that, I don't want that, that's not true, you know, you'll never see that. Then when, the, although we, we go, well, I know as a believer that's not the case, yet it still has an effect on us. And it has an effect on us, like when you're in a prayer line and, and suddenly there's somebody there who needs healing and these things, the enemy pops them into your head just at that moment. All that stuff that you've listened to that says this isn't possible and you go, what if I'm wrong? Because unbelief comes by hearing in the same way as faith comes by hearing. So we want to be part of a body of people who talk faith, believe faith, step out in faith, but we also want to guard our hearts that we're not taking in stuff that will lead us into unbelief. Amen? Amen. And, you know, I learnt this early in, in our walk, and, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to my wife for many things, but this, this was like a biggie. 
And uh, years ago, I was working in Manchester and we lived in Peston. So I had a, a big commute in in the morning and a big commute out at night. And we just moved into a new house and Cheryl had di- discovered some uh, different people on TV, Andrew Walmart, Joyce Meyer, various other things. And she, she, we, we started to understand that God had bigger plans for a believer than we'd thought. You see, God has bigger plans for you than you think is possible. Why? Because he's a God that doesn't exist in what is possible for you. He's a God that exists beyond what is possible for you. So he's always drawing out of us and, ask, and, and, and exercising his faith, if you will, for the more from us. And so Cheryl got the... She, what, what would happen is I'd get home at night, like nine o'clock at night, long day in the office, long drive home, and she'd be absolutely full of it. I know you can't believe that of Cheryl, but, you know, like 11 o'clock at night, I still haven't got my tea and she's telling me. <laughs> And, and she, she, so the, the next thing that happens is that CDs, well, actually, there were cassette tapes in those days, so that shows you how a while ago. You know, when we used to buy tapes at the end of... And so these tapes started arriving through the door. And she, the, a new one would arrive every week, a new set, and that would be my assignment, driving in and driving home. And then at the end of the week, she'd go, well, what did you think? And, and it, what it was is I had a, a constant input of listening to the word in a way that raised my faith and you know it wasn't long after that we moved down here and it wasn't long after that that Matthew fell down our stairs and broke his back and we had to put into action the things that we'd been learning you see the time that we step into faith and we time that we, we learn how to walk in faith isn't the time of the crisis. It's the years before that. And when the crisis comes, you can then step into it. And so we started to, you know, we, we started to declare healing over Matthew. They put him in the ambulance. Shovel's in the ambulance praying over him. I'm in the car behind. I've got, I've got worship on full volume, I'm shouting at the back of this ambulance, he, you are not going to win this one, my son is not going to be paralysed, because the, the medics had come, they said he broke his back, strapped him to a board, taking him in. Even when we, we got in there and they did the x-rays and it showed these two shattered vertebrae and another one totally, you know, squished, um, we carried on proclaiming the word of God, because that's what we'd learned, that's, that's what we'd taken in. And, it, and it's It's in that time when your faith comes out. What you've deposited comes out. You see, when we read the word, even though it feels like maybe on any particular day, well, you didn't get much of that, what you're doing is you're putting the deposit down that the Holy Spirit's going to bring out later. That's why it's so important that we teach the word. Um, And and I don't make any apology that, that that's what we do. We teach the word. Because we all need it in the time of crisis. And, you know, in a time of crisis, you know, your best friend on the phone who's not a believer isn't the person to go to. In a time of crisis, you know, self-help books isn't the place to go to. In a time of crisis, you want to know that God's there. And, and, and you'll know that. God's always there, you know. 
Because wherever you are, he said, I'm always with you. Where two or three are gathered, he's there in the midst of them. He's always with us, but unless we, we know how to stay in his presence and know he's with us, we lose confidence, and the enemy has a field day. And so that, that's kind of... That's kind of why we need the word. You see, there's something that happens when you have the word. Faith, the faith that you have rises. It's, you stir it up and it rises. And, you know, one of the things that I do every morning is I remind myself of the, some, some of the words of God. And this is, this, is, this is what I did. I've told you before about how I was standing in front of the mirror and, and talk to myself and remind myself who I am in Christ. But the other thing I do is this. I declare that I am who the word says I am, that God is who the word says he is. I can have the things God says I can have. I can do the things God says I can do. And nothing can stop me do that because it's promised in God's word. And the more I say those, the more I bring God's words back to me, the more my faith starts to get stirred up. Because faith has this habit that if you don't stir it up, it tends to go a bit dormant. And you start to forget things and unbelief comes in because you're starting to listen to the stuff that breeds unbelief. Here's the thing that I learned from really those early cassette tapes that Shell used to get is this, that God has staked his whole integrity on keeping his word. Amen. You know, it says that he sustains the universe by the word of his power. It says in Psalm 138 that, um, that he's exalted his words even above the authority of his own throne. That's, that tells me that if God ever told a fib, if God ever didn't keep his word, his whole kingdom collapses and the universe disappears. So it's kind of serious if God doesn't keep his word. So I want to remind myself that he keeps his word because God has filled his word with his integrity. He's, he's staked his whole authority on keeping his word. And he will do it. He'll always do it because he says, my words won't return to me void. They're out there and they're doing things. It's up to us to clutch on to what they're doing and receive them for ourselves. How do you do that? Here's, here's the thing, you see, because a lot of people would agree with me up to that point, particularly if you've been listening to me for a while. And if you've been listening to Shell for a while, you've got no, pot, no, no alternative but to agree with me. Because <laughs> she taught me this. But it's like this. It's not knowing that. It's doing something with it. And it's not having information in our minds or even going through the motions of getting some word. What it is, is making the word the final authority in the way you live your life and the way you run your life. So when things come at you, you don't respond to them, but you respond to God's word. When things come at you, you go and see what the word says about it and you say, that's what I have. That's where I'm standing. That's where I'm not moving from. The word of God, because it's an expression of his will and who he is, has to be the final authority. Not like 
what my mates say, what my friends down the pub say, not what auntie says, not what the news says, not what the newspapers say, not what the magazines say, not what anybody you might find on the internet says, not what any preacher you might admire says, but the word has to be the final authority on which we stake our lives. Why? Because it's the only thing we've got. Once we get away from the word, the Holy Spirit has nothing to work with. And so if it's the only thing we've got, we better cling to it and guard it, aren't we? And make sure that we're walking on it. And, and you know, we can't water it down and make it something we, it's not. We have to make it what it is and believe it. You see, how can I put this? We are believers, not achievers. Yeah. And, and somehow, you wouldn't think we have to remind ourselves of that, but we do. We have to constantly remind ourselves of that because there's something in our wiring, our internal wiring, that wants us to have something to do with it. Yep. There's something in our internal wiring that wants some of the glory and some of the acclaim and some of the fame. And, and we'll say it's all going to Jesus, but it's, it, there's something in us that wants to play a part in it. And that's why we have to keep reminding ourselves we're believers and not achievers. This is why we need to keep reminding ourselves we don't live in a natural kingdom, but a supernatural kingdom. And you know what? We, because we live in a supernatural kingdom, we should expect to see some supernatural things. And we should actually be able to demonstrate some of the things of the kingdom. You know, here's the difference. Um, Years ago, when we were uh, running some student meetings um, in, in the university, we were teaching on healing. And I started talking to, to a girl, and she came from a church not, not in, around here. And she said, oh, we believe in healing in our church. And I said, right, it's brilliant. That's fantastic. She said, but... So I asked, I asked her, like, so how, how, does that, how, do, how does that express itself? Oh, no, we just believe in healing. And I said, oh, well, how, how do you believe in healing? Do you, have you ever seen anybody healed? Oh, no, 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 no. But we believe in healing. Well, have you ever prayed for anybody to be healed? No. Has anybody ever been prayed for in your church for people to be healed? No. But we believe in healing. And a lot, you see, a lot of us will say we believe things, but we actually have to do the things we say we believe. It's not enough just to say, well, you know, we're a church that believes in the Holy Spirit or we're a church that believes in healing or we're a church that, uh, you know, believes that God's good or whatever. You actually have to live it in your life. But also, as a body, we have to be prepared to demonstrate it and step out and take some risks. You know, one of the things that we did at this, this conference last week is that we, we, we stepped out. And if you don't pray for anybody, you don't see anybody healed. That's just like a no-brainer. That's how it works. And so you have to step out. And you have to, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you say, well, you know, I believe in words of knowledge, but you've never ever given one and never heard anyone, then you need to step out. That's what I'm talking about essentially this morning. Because what I'm talking about is how we activate and keep in faith, or learn to stay in faith, that takes us through to get some testimonies. And it might, that's a big, long entrance, but the rest of the talk's not as long. But the principles is this. Listen, 
watch do? And you go, oh, well, that's, that's, that's straightforward, isn't it? But that's how the people who wrote the Bible thought. That's how Hebrews think. They think, listen, watch, do. And that's why it's so important that you have the opportunity in, in the body that you're part of and when you go to conferences or when you're in meetings or whatever, to listen, watch and do. And so what are we listening for? We're listening for what the word says about the circumstance that's in front of us or the, the problem or the issue that's in front of us. And we're listening for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit about how to apply that where we are. Because you can know a lot about the word, but it needs to go with the wisdom of knowing what to do with it. That's, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. You can't just get that from the Word. You, like I, I said last week, you can read the Word in lots of different ways, and most of us do because we all have diff, we, we read it, filter it through our picture of God and our picture of Jesus. And so if you've got an angry God who, who gets upset with you when, you when you mess up, and then that's how you filter the Word through. If you've got a God that will only respond when you're good enough, you've done enough, and so on, then that's how you filter the word, because that's your picture of God. But it's also um, important that we listen for the voice of the Spirit to have the wisdom to know with what to do with what he's showing us. Because you can't just... Um, you can't just go off. You need to know how it works in the circumstances you're facing because there's dynamics in the natural realm and in the spiritual realm that we don't understand. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. You need the active presence of the Holy Spirit in your midst and you need to listen to the voice of the Spirit from your spirit inside. And so, anyway, let's get on to the centurion. Mark chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. And we're going to see... Um, what the situation was with this guy. Because Jesus is going to say something absolutely stunning about him. Mark chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. Sorry, Matthew. Well done, Jills. Excellent. I see, I've even got my marker in here. I just said it wrong. Matthew chapter 8. Now, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralysed, dreadfully tormented. That's a circumstance. That's an issue. That's a problem. That's a, that's a, a work of the enemy or, or something that's arisen because we live in a fallen, dying world that is full of sickness and disease. These things happen, but they don't have to be the end of the story. We don't deny that these things are real. What we do is we deny they have to be the final verdict for our lives. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And then he gets this stunning answer from the centurion. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. 
And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and so on. And then he got, basically, the point I want you to see is that he says, I haven't seen faith that works like this. I haven't seen such great faith in all, the, all of Israel. Now, if you, I guess if you're, you're a Pharisee, you're not happy about that, and, and it causes a bit of problem with the Pharisees. But what he's saying is, Israel has had all the privilege of having the word, but it hasn't understood that it needs to walk in it. It hasn't understood how to use what it has. It hasn't understood how to hear the voice of the Spirit and follow and apply it with wisdom. And what's really surprising here is he finds somebody who is a Roman, has no background of Christianity, Judaism, doesn't even worship the same God, and he finds somebody who understands how the kingdom of heaven works. So being Jesus, he goes, right, I'm going to... I'm going to drill down and shine a big spotlight on this because he's got something that everybody needs to know. Everybody needs to know this is how the kingdom works. How does the kingdom work? If God said it, he'll do it. And, and the centur- we, we talk about authority and, 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 and things and there's stuff to draw out about what's happening here. But basically what the centurion is saying is, I understand how authority, and I understand that when I'm given a word, that's what's going to happen. When I'm given an order, that's what I've got to do. And so I'm recognising in this, this, this Jesus, I'm recognising that if he says it, that's what's going to happen. Because that's how authority is working in the kingdom. That's how he's working in the kingdom. And that's why Jesus turns around and says, you've got great faith. It's not, you see, we're not trying to have more quantity of faith. What we're trying to do is use what we have in a way that's effective. And we do that by knowing how the kingdom works And how it operates in a world that's full of sickness, disease, pain, persecution, opposition, our own messes, the messes of other people, the work of the enemy and all the rest. In a a really, really complex world, we want to understand how the kingdom works. And the centurion says, he goes to Jesus and he goes, he has this really simple idea that if you've said it, it'll happen. And Jesus said, he says, that's great faith. Why? Because it cut through everything that was looking at everything that was going on in the world. And it turned around and it said, if Jesus said it, it's going to happen. You don't even need to come. Because I know, I know, I've, I've been watching you. I've been looking at you. I've been seeing what's going on in your ministry, Jesus. And I know that what you say happens. I know when they, 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 they drag them all out of the villages to come and see you. You know, sick, blind, lepers, people who who don't even want anything to do with you afterwards. In fact, most of them have noticed Jesus don't want to have anything to do with you afterwards. But I've seen the drag them all out and what you say happens. That's how the kingdom works. What God says happens. So we have to find out what the word says and make it the final authority and then refuse to compromise. Yeah? Yeah? 
listening to the word and making it the final authority. John 8, 31 and 32 says this, that if you abide in my word and my word abides in you, then you are truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, we all want truth, don't we? And we all want freedom. But we've got to abide in the word. You see, the things of the kingdom are not for people who take it or leave it. The things of the kingdom are not for Sunday churchgoers. The things of the kingdom are not for, like, Christians who are there when it's good and not, not there when it's bad. The things of the kingdom are for those who abide in the word, who are truly disciples, who are, who are followers of Jesus. And that, that's when we see the kingdom come. Why? Because we're feeding our spirit and we're feeding the, the, the power of God within us on the word. And then we're making that word final authority by which we live our life. Here's something I want you to remember. If you've got got your pen, write it down. Because you you might need to think about this afterwards. You know, when when you've got your Sunday roast or, I don't know, I'm going to get sandwiches. But when you've got your Sunday roast, (laughs) you can can do this. And it's this. Let me make sure I get it the right way. The facts do not change the truth. But the truth can change the facts. And when you're struggling with something, you are going to be surrounded with facts. You are going to be surrounded with what people say, what the doctors say, what anybody says. They are facts. You can't deny facts. You can't deny that the thing you're hoping for hasn't happened. But what you can do by making, listening to what God says is this, you can believe the truth and the truth can change the facts. That's what, that's what this centurion's gone. He's, he's gone, I, I know that if you say the word, it changes the circumstances, it changes the facts. He's already come and said like he's in a terrible state, he's, you know, he's on the verge of death, but I know that if you, in saying the truth, you can change the facts. And that's, that's, that's kingdom stuff. Smith Wigglesworth used to say that. How many of you knew who Smith Wigglesworth was? Yeah? Good northerner. Yeah. Wrong side of Pennines, but good northerner. And Smith Wigglesworth used to say this. He used to say, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm not moved by what I feel. I am moved by what I believe, and I believe the word of God. And he saw some incredible miracles in his life. You know, some of which go down in legend. But they're not legend, they're real. And, you know, God did some amazing things through an illiterate plumber from Bradford. And, come on, we're in Cambridge. It's got to be better than Bradford, hasn't it? Although this is on the wrong side of the Pennines as well, so, you know, who knows? Okay. Here's something else. Here's a question I want to ask you. So what do you believe? What do you believe? You see, Jesus said, and and Paul says, the size of your faith isn't the problem. Because Jesus said, you've got as much as a mustard seed, you can throw a tree into the ocean. Or it can uproot a mountain. It's not not size that's the issue. 
It's how you use it that's the issue. Romans 12.3 says that, it, it says that every, every single person in this room has as much faith as another person. It says to everyone has been dealt the measure of faith. Not a measure, the measure of faith. Galatians 2.20 says it like this. It, it says that the life you live, you live by the, life, by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Now, some, some translations translate that wrongly, and they say you, you live by faith in the Son of God, yeah. but actually in isn't in the original Hebrew. You live by the faith of the Son of God. How can you do that? Because it's Christ who lives in you. Yeah. The life I, I have been crucified with Christ, yeah. and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the literal translation. Why? Because you've been given the measure of faith as a born-again believer. Where is your faith? It's in your spirit. You have the spirit of Christ in you. You know, the spirit, the same spirit that filled Christ while he walked the the earth is in you right now. You might not feel it. You might not see it. You might, might never have experienced it, but it's there. That's a fact. And that is a fact that changes things. Because that's who you are. And let me put it this way. Seeing is not believing. Seeing is not believing. Believing is acting on what God said. Despite what you see. Despite what you've been told. Despite what anybody else has said, it's acting on what God said. You see, the problem with the kingdom is this, and, and this is kind of where we struggle. Because for most of our lives, we've been trained that you believe what you see. But the kingdom doesn't work like that. The kingdom works, you believe, and then you'll see. And, and that's a leap we have to make, that we, we have to get used to saying what God says is what I'm going to believe, even though I can't see it yet. But because God has said it, it's on its way. And what a lot of us do is because we can't see it, we don't take that second step of saying, but because God has said it, it's on its way. We go, I can't see it yet. It's not happened for me. Therefore, it's not going to happen. And that's wrong. That, 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 that's, that's natural thinking. That's the way the world thinks. That's the way the doctors think. That's the way the newspapers think. That's the way the TV thinks. It's not how a believer thinks. A believer thinks, I haven't seen it yet. But because God said it's mine and because I'm asking for it, it's on its way. And when we have that mindset, what is on its way will get there. It, we, we don't, the kingdom doesn't work like McDonald's. I don't know if you've noticed this. It doesn't work like McDonald's. It, it, you can't just like go. Some things come straight away. Some things take time. I don't understand all the dynamics of that. I can't explain all that to you because we don't have enough information in God's word that explains everything that goes on in the spiritual realm. But here's here's the point. What we do have from God's word is if he said it, he'll do it. And sometimes it'll be straight away. Sometimes it'll take time. And the really important thing is that our faith, that measure of faith we have, we keep it 
out and on the table. And we don't take it back again. It's got to, we've got to stay in the game in order to see the victory at the other side. If we, if we exit the game, we just never come out the other side. Do you, do you get this? So what do you do? You, you, you do what I did this morning. I do strange things on a Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're chatting or on your way here or thinking about coming on your way here, I'm, I'm, I've been here and I disappear. And, the, and, and people look for me. You won't find me. I have a hiding place. Me, me, me and God have got a hiding place. And the reason you won't find it is the minute somebody finds it, I move. And he finds me another one. But these are what I do. I go away for like 10, 15 minutes and I stir up what is in me. I start talking to my soul. I start talking to my spirit. And I, and I stir up the gift that's within me. You see, Galatians 5.22 says this, that in my spirit... I've got fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness is the way it's normally translated. It's the same word, it's faith. Love, joy, peace, faith. Sorry, love, joy, peace, faith. It's just a different translation. In my soul, I have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. So... I stir that up in my soul, just like David did. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, when he was down in the pit. I start talking. I start talking to myself and I start going, you are full of love. You are full of love. You have patience. You have faith. You have been gifted by God to do what he's called you to do. And, and I don't look at the fact that at 25 past 10, the place is deserted. Why? Because I look at what God has told me and asked of me. And by half past ten, miraculously, you all appear, so it works. (laughs) Well, (laughs) let me read you something from from Jude 1.20. Well, there only is one in Jude, so it's going to be one, isn't it? Verse 20. You, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's the other thing I do. I stir up what is in me and I pray in the Holy Spirit. We're allowed to do that, you know, pray in tongues and pray in the Holy Spirit. You don't have to understand it, but I tell you, it works. Stuff comes out of your mouth you never expected to come out and you never knew were there. And I wish I really stuck to my notes sometimes. (laughs) But that's the way it works. We, We have to start talking to ourselves the things of God. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. And so if we talk the things of God to ourselves, it stirs up faith and we start seeing the things of God to ourselves. There is enough pressure in this world. There is enough stuff being pumped at you 24-7 that you need to talk the things of God to yourself because you're not going to hear them anywhere else sometimes. So we, we need to do that. So what do you do? You've been listening. You've seen things. You've heard testimonies. You know, you've heard testimonies the last few weeks. What's, what, what else do you do? You watch. You listen. You listen to the word. You listen to the voice of the spirit. 
And then you watch. This is how we grow. This is how we learn the way the kingdom works. So when there's somebody praying for healing, you watch what happens. You watch what happens when somebody doesn't get healed, and you watch what happens when somebody gets healed. And you listen to what the Holy Spirit's showing you and pointing you out from it. Um, And you never stop learning. But you have to be around stuff so that you can do it yourself. Because if you've not seen it, you've got no expectation of seeing it. Because you don't know what it looks like and you don't know how it happens. And so, you know, one of the things that I used to... It's like Moses, isn't it? He wasn't going to get anything from God until it says he turned aside to look at the burning bush. The bush could burn all it liked, but nothing was going to happen until Moses turned aside to see what was going on. And it's like that with us. We need to turn aside so that we can learn the ways and things of God. Because frustratingly, for me... I am a logical person. More than that, for 26 years, I applied logic in the most boring way as an accountant. And so logic works for me. Unfortunately, the things of the kingdom, it's not that they're not logical, but they're beyond our understanding. And the things of the kingdom are more of an art than a science. They're a judgment thing and a going with the Holy Spirit thing rather than a let's, let, let's, let's do it with the instructions thing. They're more sort of like the set of instructions you get and you've got, you know, like you've got 50 pieces left over at the end because it was, it was too much. They're not the sort of instructions where you put it all together and there's nothing left over at the end. They're not, it's not that simple. We, we, it's, it's an art and a judgment. And we have to know how the things of the spirit flow. Like um, when we were... Um, away last week, ministering at the conference, myself, Jules, and Nathan. One of the things that that really happened that I'd not, you know, I'd experienced it before, but it was a long time before. But I'd seen it happen to somebody else. And so I was able to um, deal with that situation because I'd I'd watched. You see, what I used to do, I used to go to conferences. I'd, I'd go to like the conferences at Caris Bible College, I'd go other places, we, 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 we flew to Toronto, we flew to Los Angeles, just to see people ministering healing. And when, when they were doing prayer for healing or talking about healing, I'd make sure I got as near the front as I could so I could see what was going on. Like I was always the last person to leave just in case the last person in the prayer line was the one that got healed because I wanted to see what was going on. And... And so it got to um, last week, and we, I, at the end of, uh, I think, the second session I was doing, we were, we were going to pay for prayer, we told, uh, for healing, we told people we were paying for healing, and I had a word of knowledge, and the word of knowledge was about somebody whose feet were burning, they were in pain, and whatever. And I kind of got used to, over the years to working with words of knowledge. So I gave this word of knowledge, and nobody responded, and I said, no, I believe God showed me that. Who are you? And so this lady got up and she came forward and then another lady got up. So there's two of them. Neither had responded the first time I said it. But so we prayed for them. And what was interesting is that was before my talk and then I went on and did my talk. And neither of them got immediate healing. Now, 
I'm going like, mm, I've got a word of knowledge. So it's specific to them. I know it was real. They've responded and they didn't get healed. Now, if I didn't know or hadn't experienced it or seen it somewhere else, I would have gone, I've just got, I just no idea what went wrong, what went wrong. And we were talking about afterwards, you know, in our, our, our luxurious time at Nando's. And we, we were talking about this because what happened was that later on when we did the sort of more prayer for healing and, and other people getting healed, I went back and said, what's going on? What's happening? And they said, oh, it's no better. And then it twigged to me what was happening. You see, we have a fight against an enemy. And he doesn't want the people who came forward to get healed because if they get healed, the floodgates open for the whole conference. So he, he, he's going to fight like mad on those two to, to convince them it's not going to happen. And so... I went back at the end and said, right, okay, what's happening? They said, oh, it's just not better. So what do you do? What do you do in that situation? You pray again. Why? Because when you pray, the kingdom's released. So we pray again. We got them out. And it's quite interesting. I can't remember whether it was Jules or Nathan shouted out. I, I, I said, right, come on, we're going to pray for you again, right in front of everybody. Now, that's a high-risk strategy, isn't it? But that's, that's where you see the kingdom in the high-risk strategy. I, I'm like... If I looked at that in the natural, that's really embarrassing. Like, I prayed for them not being healed. What's going on? And um, I can't remember. It was Jules on Nathan shouts out, yeah, he doesn't give up easy. And so they, they came out, and we paid, paid for this lady, and she was immediately healed. You see, you've got to learn to discern the things that are going on in the kingdom, the, the spiritual dynamics. And so we watch we listen, we watch, and then what do we do? We do. Okay? We do. 